0: Accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to our show. We're continuing our run through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the 18th episode of the fifth season. Aired on April 7th, 1997. It was written by Bradley Thompson and David Weddle, directed by Siddig El-Fadil, our old Dr. Bashir. It's called Business as Usual. In this episode, Quark's cousin Gala offers him a job as a weapons dealer. We're joined by Clay, as always. Clay, how are you?
0: I'm good. Do you happen to know what the HR department on Deep Space Nine is located or what it's like? I would assume it's next to Odo's office, but why do you ask? (laughs) Because imagine for a second if you were at work and you were having coffee with uh, a female uh, coworker of yours, and uh, then your cousin showed up, and immediately walked over to said female fellow employee and started rubbing her shoulder Felt and her massaging As I say, Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> you think it's I offensive? Think, I think Dax should have like filed charges at the le- at the very least, and maybe you know. Give, give him, give him, giving him a a, a, stern a, a hard to. one to the balls or something. Yeah,
1: I think they wrote Dax as carefree in that regard, simply to accommodate the Ferengi characters. In a lot of ways, <laughs> like because well, the for the two female characters that they have, Kira would definitely respond that way, right? So they have to have yes. Dax as yeah. the one who is going to allow it to happen, even if she doesn't approve of it, which. Mm-hmm. um which I don't care. I don't think it's a weakness of the Dex character or anything. But it's interesting how they've positioned her to deal with that, and they got they don't have Kira there uh, at all because she would react that way to them. Yeah,
0: they really get their mileage out of that weird, gross ear stuff in this episode. Because later on, there's basically a scene where uh, Oda uh, walks in on him. <laughs> yeah, on on essentially uh, Quark getting Robert crafted uh, on the in floor. His quarters. Yeah, he's yeah. He's...
1: Good Patriots. A timely Patriots reference that so we'll see how well mm. that actually
0: ages with <laughs> Yes. For any for any of you listening to this far in the future where that story has gone away, I mean he's getting a hand job.
1: You gotta you gotta get a little churn to get that craft cheese going, I guess. Is, is, uh, is,
0: oh <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's, um, let's talk about a troll episode of Star Trek uh, featuring the Ferengi. It's called Business as Usual. We're going to take a break, play an audio clip, and me and Clay are going to come back and break it down.
0: This solves many of our problems. It certainly does. No actual weapons coming in or out, so we don't break any local
1: laws. All shipping happens outside Federation space, so Starfleet can't touch us. And since all we're demonstrating are holograms, We can even show off the specialty items. Gala. Well done. It was all Quark's idea. Quark.
0: You really are quite a find. I'm sure we're going to accomplish great things together. I can't wait. Uh, Just one thing. Don't cross me, Quark. Don't ever cross me. Understood? Completely. Right. Now, if it's not too much trouble, I'd uh, like to see my quarters.
1: This is one of those um, odd episodes at this point in a series, Clay, where I think that... I think this episode is actually pretty like structurally fine. I think everything is almost... Everything is like fine with it. Mm. It does not hold my attention whatsoever. Yes. Uh, it's a very... You know, I, I'll, I'll start off with what I applaud them for. I applaud them for giving a Ferengi episode that is actually kind of interesting in what the Ferengi would do and how the Ferengi consider things. And it's actually not a comedy episode. Um, hmm. I think as we get into the acting, we'll start discussing whether the actors thought this was a comedy episode or not. But I think that the, <laughs> I think that the script itself, it kind of takes the Ferengi seriously in an interesting way. And I think that the idea is like, it's a good idea it's just the most simplistic and sort of un emotional and un like there's no roller coaster ride to the story right. that really goes on here and it really falls kind of flat and so you're in this weird place of i don't think it's a particularly good episode but i don't think that there's anything really wrong with it so what what say you
0: yeah i would agree i you know by the end of it i i found myself thinking this was actually a pretty fairly well written story in that the stakes were pretty clear. It was a simple story. It was relatable. Um it's just not really that interesting. Like I, I enjoyed the ethical conundrum they put Quark in. Uh I enjoyed the uh holodeck arm sales um uh, workaround. I thought that was pretty clever. That's a good idea, right? There's a couple good yeah, ideas it's in great, it. Yeah. 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 Um But, yeah, like, I mean, the ethical thing doesn't come up until there's about 15 minutes left in the episode. Yeah, yeah. And everything before that is just, like, sitting around talking or figuring out how to put a baby to sleep. I can tell you probably just put this episode on and that baby would be out like white. (laughs) Um, Kiryoshi. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's fine. Like, there's nothing structurally wrong with it. It's a perfectly finely written story, and I think the payoff is fine. It, w- it makes sense. Yeah, uh, it's a fairly reasonable way to wrap the story up. But uh, yeah, uh, the most interesting part about it was that I, I want to. I'm continuously um, or continually interested in what uh, what show. Um, Avery Brooks thinks he's acting in as far as like the episodes that Cisco is not the main character. What he is imagining is going on in the life of Cisco Yeah, because he is exceptionally salty in this episode, uh, especially at the end there when he's like just sitting with this look on his face like he just came back from a really shitty meeting and now he has to deal with Quark.
1: Yeah, well, I I didn't mind his ending thing. I thought that his first, when he first yells at Quark felt like he had would, was taken off of his meds or something for that yeah. week. Like he's very <laughs> angry, and I think that it, it's one of those weird things. It's like it's it almost fits hand in hand with the episode. It's like I understand why Cisco would be angry about that because he thinks Quark is dealing in like weapons of mass destruction, but. Mm-hmm at that point that he flips out on them, they haven't really gone into that as much. And I know it's there. Like, so what I'm saying is that the script is obviously aware of the fact that this is what Quark is doing. And so everyone else on the crew is kind of reacting to him negatively, which becomes even bigger as the show moves forward. The episode moves forward and like Dax abandons him and everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I don't know. It's, it it felt to me like I, I Avery Brooks thought that that was going to be like his only scene in the episode. So he's like, I'm dialing it up. Um, I feel that's nice that's nice. I feel that the and, and this is probably good like the the fact that the the episode works, but it also doesn't work at the same time is kind of how I feel about almost every aspect of it like the there's some good actors in this episode, however, hmm. I'm not sure that they're acting appropriately for the story uh the guy who plays the weapons dealer, the bald older weapons dealer who's a famous actor um who I can't think of his name right now, the, but yeah
0: uh, um the quark's boss or the other guy
1: quark's boss the human not okay. not the ferengi who's gala gala is the Ferengi. no no not,
0: not him i meant the other guy uh who, who shows up later the guy from reservoir dogs
1: oh lawrence tierney no not yes. lawrence. lawrence tierney is also funny but the Haggath guy the like the yes, weapons yes, dealer yeah. boss yeah um he is he's a good actor who clearly is like oh this is a sci-fi genre show. I'm going to act now and sort of mm. and get his point across. Does
0: anyone have any cheese for all of this ham that I brought with me?
1: <laughs> like, is the scene where he's he's yelling at he's like Quark, you think this buffet is appropriate? Well, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's very got you.
0: <laughs> Did you see through my acting? Um, and there's nothing. Ferengi humor might not fly, but human humor cannot be talked
1: <laughs> the um the problem What with, is the
0: deal the, with airplane food
1: <laughs> the problem with it is that it's like i don't Take even think my wife I please <laughs> my boy my arm's tired <laughs> i i just came in from the delta question boy my arm's tired um i i think that like the the problem with it is that I don't even think it was, like, a bad choice. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, like, it's it's an okay thing him, for him to be doing. However, it doesn't really fit in the episode. And I, I know that's not a very constructive criticism, but it just feels off on some way. Like, I can't really get inv- invested in what that
0: guy's doing. Yeah, I don't know. I was, my eyes glazed over for the first, like, two-thirds of this episode. Because they were just talking about, I didn't care about anything that was happening. Like, setting up a... uh Dinner date for Lawrence Tierney, and then getting reamed out about it. it's like, all right, sure, whatever. Yeah, like I, that scene, that scene didn't really have a function other than, uh, the, other than to because it came after um, his cousin told him about uh, what happens when you cross the guy. So I guess the implication was to make it seem like, you know, oh shit quark fucked up so he's on he's you know in the doghouse or something but well, it was just, it supposed
1: to be i just watched the departed do you know the scene where jack nicholson brings in leonardo DiCaprio. he's like i smell a rat and he's like overacting like crazy yes, trying to yes. trying to sort it. it felt very much like that where he you get the impression that uh quark is supposed to be in great danger because he fucked up the buffet order or whatever but it mm. comes across as just kind of goofy
0: yeah yeah you know <laughs> the only thing that i took away from that scene as i was watching it was I realized I would not be able to deal with being in Starfleet because, uh, um, I would just, I would be in the bathroom all the time based on that food that they were talking about and brought out. I was like, I don't even know what this stuff is. And I can tell you that it's going to make me shit my pants. Stuff snake, I think was something that was like the, the main course or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I quick side note about the departed. Hmm. Um, my favorite thing about that movie, uh, which I, I saw when I saw it in the theater, thought it was pretty good. Then I saw it again and I was like, this is not as good as a lot of people think it is. Um, my favorite thing is how they set up all of the, uh, headshots for the, that take place in the last 15 minutes of that movie by having that one scene when they're in cop school and it's like during the montage, and they're specifically talking about what happens when you get shot in the face, yeah, right. There's yep. a thing about talking about blowback and stuff. It's like so this is going to come in handy later when everybody's heads start exploding.
1: <laughs> the best part is still uh for me is that any scene with Alec Baldwin and uh Mark Wahlberg? I think it yes, just... <laughs> yeah,
0: talk about a movie, talk about a movie that seemed like it was using modern technology in a novel way in a movie that is now autom- uh out of date yeah the stuff with the typing on the phone in the pocket yep a i don't really believe you can do that effectively if i was on the other end of that i would be like he says that the 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 chops have the lighter yeah right (laughs) the autocorrect at
1: this point would just be be screwing with
0: your mind as, as
1: best possible it is kind of a that sweet spot of cell phone technology where they're Using push button or like that, whatever yeah. that thing is, where we have to hit the button like three times to make an R and twice to
0: make it an S or whatever. At least, at least they found a way to, uh, use it creatively instead of having people sit there watching the movie going, are there no cell phones in this movie? Why mm-hmm. don't they just call them? You yeah. know? Yep. Yeah. No, they anyway, do. A, they do
1: a lot of phone work on that. Um, but I just I just want to do the the off-screen where after the the meeting, Alec Baldwin walks off. He's like, You want to have a cigarette? Oh, you don't smoke? What are you some kind of fitness freak? Fuck yourself. <laughs> I just love the way he talks. Every, every line he has on that is very, very funny. Some people don't trust a guy with great credentials. I do. I have great credentials. Um <laughs> let's get back to this this episode, I suppose. Um I don't know. Like I, I like the I, I thought that the, the arms dealer thing, like, it, it's kind of an episode that places Quark in, like, the place that you'd want to be because we've been positioned Quark as, like, he's the he's the shady criminal type who actually has a moral center and, the, like, how far will Quark go to make a profit? And mm-hmm. I thought they did it effectively here. I thought what I would have appreciated was they if they had tied this into the Dominion arc a little bit instead of making up all these conflicts that they were dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. I thought maybe that would have amounted to something. And the other thing that I think is really kind of goofy is the way that they broach the subject um of like the number of deaths that they're having. They're they're planning for war in a way that always strikes me as very funny. The guy's like, I'd like to kill about you know 15 million people yes. it's like wh- yeah. why why not just wipe them all out what's the point of killing yeah. only some x amount of number and like the way they're talking about it is like an a la carte menu that he's picking out and maybe that's intentional but it doesn't strike me as like a way that you would sell weapons
0: and and what is this arms dealer where you can show up and buy just like pistols and rifles but then all of a sudden he's like okay you need a a uh, biological weapon that will cause uh, genocide essentially yes I believe I also have that in my in my inventory
1: yeah we've, we've, got, we've got to get it chipped over here but it is available for you yeah yeah also it's I, I, so I, I think that the the way that they kind of go it's like,
0: it's like you show up and you it's like well you couldn't find the biological weapon but you're lucky we have one death star left. And it's out back if you want it. We got the BFG from that video game. It's
1: all yours for the low, low price. Yeah, so I mean, while I, while I like the the take that they have Quirk going on here, and I like the fact that they bring back Gala, who has a moon, and they've talked about that he's a weapons dealer, and he makes all the money in the family and everything.
0: Did I mention um, last time that the guy playing him, I don't actually, I don't remember if I did the last episode he was on, but if I didn't, Uh, The guy playing him is the voice of Raphael from the first Ninja Turtles movie from 1989. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, The only reason I know that is because that movie was very influential on my formative years as a comic book fan.
1: So his like voice wave file is like burned in your brain. And you can recognize him under pounds of makeup and everything.
0: No, actually, the voice is very different. I just recognize his name because it's kind of an odd name. Oh, gotcha. It's Josh, and I don't know how you pronounce his last name. It's spelled P A I S. Right. Yeah, Pays. I would assume, or something like that. Yeah.
1: Josh Pays. Yeah. He, I I actually think
0: he's. I actually think his performance here is not particularly good. Um. He's he's clearly. Uh, he's I, I'm I'm continuously continually again. Uh, fascinated by watching actors figure out how to work through the makeup. You know, I've, I've talked about the Klingon stuff, you know, at length. Uh, but the Ferengi, at least he, seems to be working around the Ferengi teeth just by making sure his mouth is extra wide mm. when he says things so his teeth don't get in the way. You know that kind of thing. It's it, you can actively see him making a choice on how to approach having to say all this dialogue with a mouthful of plastic.
1: Yeah, and I maybe that's the reason I don't really like the performance because he he is talking in a very strange way. Although I don't know if they. I don't know if the producers are like this is the way the Ferengi act like they're very broad yeah. like this and it, it with the combination of the bad teeth and the sort of broad personalities that the the Ferengi have it kind of I don't know it strikes me as never particularly very like good performance wise
0: from anybody. Yeah, I was wondering that too. If there's like if the, if you are, if you are hired to play a Ferengi, uh, and I'm assuming at this point, uh, if you are a character actor, you are not sitting down and watching every episode of Deep Space Nine to figure out how the Ferengi work. Or maybe right. you do. I don't know. Um, But do they give you, like, a class? Or do they give you, like, one episode to look at or something? Or, or like, is there is, is the Ferengi acting? Because it's all kind of the same. Yeah. Right? It's all fairly similar. Uh, it's borderline racist. Um, <laughs> do they, is it all based on the first person who played a Ferengi? So they're just like, see what he's doing? Do a version of that. Probably, and it just like passes
1: down the chain. Like no one's ever yeah. allowed to break the chain because of that first performance. I would,
0: and I I have noticed that Quark or Armin Sherman is probably the the least broad as Ferengis. Most of the other ones are fairly over the top. Like Rom is fairly over the top. Uh, the Negus is fairly over the top. Oh, I'd
1: say Rom is over the top in a non-Ferengi way. Yes, he's
0: he's in a you know a different stratosphere yeah. for what they're doing. Yeah. He's in a simple Jack sort of way. Yep. Um, uh, Nog is kind of over the top. The Nagus is over the top. The one that uh, Jeffrey Combs played is oh, over yeah, the Brands. top. Yeah. 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 Uh, this guy is over the top. And I don't know if that's if it's a combination of things. If it's the makeup and the acting style uh, f- that they is quote unquote the Ferengi thing. But Armin Shermanman is actually pretty laid back. He does a lot of more work with his face, I think, because his eyes, his his. He he was born for that makeup, for better or worse. Mm. Um, it looks the best on him, and it, it, it and it really accents his his eyes, which are pretty intense. Yeah, he has a, he so, has a good head shape for it. It seems yeah. like
1: the others tend to like if you have too narrow of a head, it makes the Ferengi look kind of weird. But the the Ferengi head shape, I think that roundness is really more of an appealing look for them, and he, he has that.
0: Yeah, and something about for whatever reason, he just can do a lot more with, with a lot less when it comes to playing uh Ferengi.
1: Maybe it's, um, working with Auburn, he gets to look at that a little bit and he's allowed to sort of like, cause they both do a good job of acting underneath the makeup and it's more subtle mm. than what the other characters do. Yeah. They tend to rely on talking quite a bit. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, the baby's in the background. Someone's going to complain
0: about that. Um, Someone get chief O'Brien to pick him up. <laughs> no, you need Worf to come in and pick him up. Oh, that's right. Yes.
1: Um, I think that the, you know, so where do you stand? I, we both kind of agree that the episode is kind of fine but boring. Like, what, you started off the series thinking that you uh, you at least kind of enjoyed the Ferengi episodes on some level. Are you still coasting along with them, or has anything changed
0: with you the more that you see them? Uh, I didn't really like this. I'm, I shouldn't even say I didn't like it, because it was fine. It, it was just, you know, this was... This episode was kind of in the pocket of, of episodes that I, I thought most of Deep Space Nine was where it's like just th- it's not diplomacy but it's a lot of talking about shit that I don't care about Yeah. Um, thankfully they do add some relatable stakes to it and give him sort of a, an ethics crisis which is nice uh, towards the end um, but yeah like the between the talking about How much guns are gonna cost, and like who's gonna get what, and this guy yelling at where they're going. Yep, yeah, and this guy yelling at this regent about going to Fire Island or whatever. Uh, I that stuff was, and that plus the baby stuff. I was just like, oh boy, this is gonna be one of those ones where I just sort of, just sort of let it wash over me and forget what happened. Yeah.
1: um, I I will finish with the baby stuff. There's not much to say about the O'Brien storyline, which is kind of fascinating. But the, like, why? What a weird choice for a storyline. What's missing from the Quark storyline? Like, why, why does this not have? Because. Hardcore nudity. If I was looking at it, I think you have all the beats here that should work for a satisfying Quark story. And Mm -hmm. maybe this episode is satisfying on like the definition of just be like, that worked. That was satisfying for me. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about why it doesn't work. I feel, I I feel like the, the, I feel like it's maybe one of their ethical issues that is divorced from what they're actually seeing. And so the talking about it isn't really conveying what's going on. It's maybe too like intellectual of a, something to have to think about. And, the fact that you never see any of the death, the fact that it doesn't tie into the current Dominion situation and there's no like real feeling of stakes to what's going on, it's just a number mm-hmm. that they're talking about, leaves you in this place where you're like, yeah, that's all fine and well and good, but you end up with just scenes of people talking in a room, drinking champagne with each other, and it doesn't really feel like you're actually existing in the universe and having an episode or show about the universe. It feels like they're just kind of talking about what that would be like.
0: Yeah, I I think um, part of it is that the beginning of it, the plan just works fine. <laughs> like he, he the, you start the episode with him talking about how he has literally no money left, and very then convenient start- plot wise. For, I think all
1: of that is very convenient plot wise. Like he he has no money, he gets this job that gives him money, and then he makes enough money to quit at the very end. Is it wraps up tidy? Yes. But sorry, I yeah. didn't mean to interrupt you.
0: Well, no, I think that's part of it because I think you know he's got no money at the beginning, and then when his cousin shows up and gives him this. Job arm selling job, he kind of hems and haws for a second, and then he's into it, and then like right away it works perfectly, and he and he gets enough money to be out of debt, mm-hmm. and they they are adding on these uh, um trying to make it seem more dangerous than it is by adding on this this higher up guy who's you know threatening him and what what not, but essentially. You're not really seeing anything in that section of the story that really is consequential or, or adding tension or pressure to the story. Yeah, um, shouldn't, he have, shouldn't uh, he have
1: murdered that guy that he fires like in front of Cork or something? Yeah,
0: something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because yeah, all, all you're you're hearing about this guy being killed off screen, but it's not really, you know, that that only gets you so far. You know, um, then you're kind of falling into you know, the, the discovery trap where you just start talking about stuff and you don't realize talking about stuff doesn't land the way that showing stuff and how the character relates to seeing what's happening works. Yeah. Um, so So, yeah, I think, I think that's part of it. I think there needs to be more pressure on Quark at the, at the beginning. Um, even, even something, I mean, on top of, on top of, uh, what would be nice actually would be, um a scene where on top of him actually maybe seeing that other guy get killed, maybe Deep Space Nine takes in some people who have been hurt or killed by the weapons that he helped facilitate the sale of. Right. Yeah. And so then you have the first inkling of him kind of like hand-waving it away, being like, well, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. You know, trying to compartmentalize what he's doing.
1: Yeah. Which he does Uh, a little bit in this. He he comes up uh, with this sort of stock gun defense, uh, like – Arguments that he spits out. But you haven't seen the reason for him to have that opinion.
0: Yeah. I mean, him saying it makes you as the viewer also go, oh, yeah, who cares? Right. (laughs) You know, know, uh, but um, and then only later when it's like, oh, 20 million people, which is a number that's just like ridiculously high um, to the point, almost to the point of not being relatable. Like, I think it's skirting the line um, between... Uh, believable and all right. These this is just too big. Um, I
1: would just I would have had that. I was trying to think about how to fix that. Instead of him being like, "I need between twelve and fifteen million people dead," I would have had him say, "Like I need the firepower to level a city." You know, something that's not so. Yeah, like you can internalize that as like, oh, that that would be a lot of people who would potentially mm-hmm. die from that. But I, I, I don't know. I think they made a mistake going with like a number crunching aspect to what was going on. Yeah, there.
0: well, I, or or something more specific where it's like where he's like, uh, you know, um, we got to start hitting these people where it hurts. So I'm going to blow up a, a children's hospital. Yeah, you know, something something like that where it's where he can act, you can actively imprint on what they're going to do and how it is. Uh, extra extra bad, yeah. Uh, because yeah, number crunching. Because even in that scene, doesn't Quark say something like, "Well, what if we only killed like ten million people?" Right. Well, how about we wound some instead of killing yeah, them? Yeah, yeah. Where well, it's like when you get into start that kind of semantics, you, you're you're basically uh, uh, on the war council anyway. <laughs> so um, well, I think it would need to be something that he he and the viewer can can relate to a little bit more viscerally. Yeah. I want,
1: I want these people to feel like, like they're a virgin getting fucked for the very first time.
0: <laughs> and then Quark's like, how come I, how come I can't, how come I, Mister Pink?
1: <laughs> how much do you tip?
0: What, you give ten percent? Um, <laughs> so, I, I would agree. Toby, Toby Wong, Toby Chan, <laughs> fucking Charlie. I don't remember the one. I would agree.
1: I think it's a. It's an episode that suffers from being divorced from everything. You kind of have to think about what it means and it doesn't really amount to anything by the end of it because the numbers that they're sp- they're talking about are like so astronomical. Um, yeah. Let's talk about, this is going to be a short episode. Let's talk about the O'Brien storyline, which is fine and doesn't really exist for any reason. Nice of Jake to
0: show up for 30 seconds. Who shows up? jake for 30 seconds oh that's
1: right yeah and handles the baby like it's radioactive which i i, I guess makes sense for that teenage uh mentality but dude that makes sense for 34 year old mentality because i
0: have done that recently <laughs> it's, it's it's true
1: he's holding what's clearly not a baby but he's holding like a sack of potatoes covered in a blanket mm-hmm. and he gives it to him yeah, yeah. um what'd i've you always think
0: of it? I, i've always found it strange how as i've gotten older i've gotten worse dealing with that stuff? Because I always assumed like, oh, you know, everybody kind of like gets a feel for that even if they don't have kids. Mm-hmm. Incorrect. No. Anytime I, I mean, I'm i somewhere with a new baby, I'm like, listen, I don't take this offense to this, but I do not want to break your child. No, there's so, um,
1: I always think it's bad on the parents to... Parents should never say, do you want to hold the baby to anybody? Uh, people who want to hold the baby will let you know that they want to hold the baby. Yeah. And yeah. you can go with them, but... It's always a little bit awkward to like, I don't, I don't have a problem uh, with the kids at this point, but I don't really, I don't get anything about holding someone else's baby <laughs> and looking at them. Um,
0: yeah. So yeah, new like parents I, take I, that advice. Yeah. And I, uh, I know some people, if you say no, they find, they take offense to that, which I don't understand. But yeah, um, yeah I, i I oddly don't really have a problem with like newborns because all you do is you basically hold them like a football. Yeah. But when they get a little bit older and a little bit more squirmy, I'm like, I don't know what to do with this thing. Yes. Um, It seems to want to kick its legs. And do I just like, I was over at our friend's house the other day, and uh, I was was holding their their daughter who was just kind of like squirming around. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to lean back like a walrus. Mm Mm-hmm. And let you just sort of like spin around on my stomach. And then she ended up upside down and started crying. So I was like, <laughs> I'm going to hand it back to you and uh, leave your house quickly. No, that's yeah. not
1: true. No, it's, um, maybe that would have been, maybe that would have added something to this storyline, I suppose. Like someone's discomfort with it. But it's, it's, it's a storyline that really has like no conflict to it whatsoever. It's just kind of like mm. slight sketches that go on and then... You end up with the baby at the end, and O'Brien is tired and all that. Like I, I thought it was fine. It's the same as the other story. It's like it's it's fine. There's nothing really wrong with this, but the, nothing is really grabbing me about what this storyline
0: is either. I actually did like the scene with Cisco when when the uh, the baby has fallen asleep. Is this kind of an in joke that the baby fell asleep to the soothing sounds of the the, the white, white noise. noise machine? Yeah, I, I, um, it but, makes sense. Yeah, but I, I liked when Cisco is like, "Oh, okay." O'Brien, why don't you take a few days off? And he's like, no, it's fine. And it's just goes like, no, this is unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that would have been better if he
1: started yelling at him like he was yelling at Quark. He's like, you misunderstood yeah. what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I, it's it's. there's not even really anything to say about it. So we see Kiriyoshi, we get reminded that he exists, and Worf is good with the O'Brien children continues as,
0: as a, a story or a plot point
1: that the show wants mm-hmm. us to know about.
0: Oh, uh, uh, before we wrap up, what did you think about the dream sequence? Terrible, that Quark. Has? Terrible. Yeah, I thought it was really stupid, and it just seemed like an excuse to get everybody back into the show for a scene.
1: I mean the the thing about the thing about dream sequences is that you expect a little bit of symbolism or something, mm. but this was no. There was no. They're like, you killed us, Quark. Well, Brian watched up and he's like, why did you kill my baby, Quark?
0: And then yeah. walks off, <laughs> and it's just so you know what it was almost like the end of Wayne's world when all the shit keeps ha- like keeps piling up at the end and his girlfriend is like Wayne I'm pregnant that's why I've been so moody lately and right. then he's like I can't sign you because you're not good enough for the record and your house is burning down like that kind of thing <laughs> you've killed my child
1: it, it, uh, it's a tough it's a tough thing because you know, you can go David Lynch dream sequence where everyone's like, does this mean something? Like, what's going on in this? Or mm-hmm. you can go this incredibly obvious. I think the best dream sequence is somewhere in the middle, I suppose. No offense to all the David Lynch fans and stuff, but... I, so, go ahead. Well, Sopranos would be an example. of it. I, think, I think Sopranos does a good job with its dream sequences because it's
0: surreal, but you can also sort of understand what they're talking about. So, what I would have done, this is compounding on top of what I said previously that I would change. So I would add in the thing about Lawrence Tierney wanted to blow up a children's hospital or like a newborn ward or something like that. <laughs> and then why in this dream because having him see that the the death the the dead people from DS9 actually doesn't make any sense because nothing he's doing is involved with selling guns to anybody who's gonna fire on Deep Space Nine, right? Right, right. So I would have uh uh have him have a dream You could keep that stuff If you really want to But I would end it With O'Brien saying You killed my baby And then going over And putting the baby down On a uh In a Not a pile But like in a uh, Basically a newborn ward Full of dead kids Okay <laughs> Or, so, and like do like a zoom out thing where you can see the number of people, the children that have been murdered by by this guy. So just to add add uh, this might be too dark well, for broadcast I... television in the nineties. I don't know, <laughs> but I think it
1: would be effective. Well, is this too dark? I was thinking because the whole episode has been about O'Brien having a hard time with the baby being quiet. Would he have been in the dream? Would he be like, well, he's finally quiet now, and he like lays him down into a tiny <laughs> casket or something like? Oh is, that... <laughs> is
0: that? Is that... <laughs> you win. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, think, I think the show should have, it should have tried something a little bit more edgier than what they ended up with. <laughs> let's, um, let's take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back, and we're going to wrap up our thoughts about business as usual.
0: You're facing some serious charges here, Quark. Incitement to riot, endangering the public safety, disregard. How was I supposed to know everyone was going to start shooting? I just wanted them to cross paths so that the deal would fall through. It fell through all right. Haggath and Gala barely managed to get off the station alive. I hear General Nasuk sent a purification squad after them. I wouldn't count on seeing your former business partners again.
1: I live with that. All right, so not a very good episode. Uh, The discussion that followed and came out of us had to go everywhere, I think. But if you've enjoyed the content today, it's much appreciated if you consider supporting the show at Patreon. Dot com slash the Penske file. A couple of dollars you get extra stuff. We're going to be talking about either time travel or MCU films this month. The, uh, patrons are voting on it. And I'd like to give a shout out to our Captain Tier supporters Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Bradley Killens, Captain Cork, David K Decker Sebastiani, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, y- uh, Yarpy, Jay Stanley, Joint Mango, Car- Kyle Barrett, Matt Flores, Matthew Cutler, Matt Ross. Michael Pond, Mer- Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Nick Sergey, Robert Cummins, Russ Graham, Samuel Custer, uh, Grim Santo, Sean Spinobi, Stephen Cobb, Tarek Latif, and Will Yates. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show. Clay, let's go to some patron thoughts. If you support mm. the show on Patreon, you get to leave thoughts about upcoming episodes when we read them. Sam Nuclear-Wessel, nicely thought through for a comedy episode, both how the feds can't stop the arms dealing and how Quark learns that losing their friendship is
0: punishment in and of itself. Is okay, it- so... Is I, I this kind of comes back to your point because I don't know if I would explicitly call this a comedy episode. I wouldn't call it is a comedy, it, no. Is it that since the Ferengi are the focus, the thought process is, oh, this must be a comedy episode?
1: I think that the way the Ferengi are portrayed makes anything that they do a comedy sometimes. You yeah. know what I mean? And I, I think that I think this is not a comedy, but I think that it is impacted by the fact that the ferengi are kind of goofy in general so it seems yeah. like what they're doing is funny.
0: So it's like you're like wow that was the f- the the most humorous way anyone could offer someone 10 million bars of latinum to murder an entire planet.
1: This is a good I've um th- this kind of maybe ties into the problem that I have with the ferengi and why this storyline doesn't actually work. I-, I started reading a book um I have not f- I have not finished it. I'm not going to finish it, but one of our listeners Stephen, recommended a Star Trek book for me to listen uh, read mm-hmm. and it deals with the Ferengi. Yeah.
0: F- fuck you, Stephen, apparently.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather you just call me a, a cocksucker on the, in the comments and just leave it be. But the, the, it deals with the Ferengi, right? But it deals with the Ferengi in kind of an interesting way. I, I would say that it's actually a good book. I forget which, what it's called. But the Ferengi have basically taken this, like, primitive people planet, and they've enslaved them and turned them into, like, slave labor for mm-hmm. making, uh, like, goods or something. Like, they're, they're using them for workers. And... The Ferengi are portrayed as kind of vicious in it. And it makes sense on how they would uh, sort of exist in terms of like what they think about, like how they're always profit seeking or they're just trying to get an advantage over other people. And I think that the show doesn't really approach the Ferengi that way. Like the Ferengi could actually be pretty dark and twisted oh, yeah, about what time. they want to do, but they, they don't ever go down that route and they don't have them do anything other than just kind of rip people off or be like, hey, I'm wheeling and dealing over here. Uh, and I yeah, think that's a, a yeah. problem here where what they're dealing with is a very dark issue, but because the Frank, you're so fucking goofy, you can't take it seriously.
0: Yeah. And let that be a lesson to you, Stephen. He didn't read books to graduate college. <laughs> He's not going to read your book. <laughs> I do recommend
1: it. I'm not going to finish the book, but it is a good one. I'll put a note about what book it was. Um, Stephen Cobb says, Business as usual. I enjoyed the unpredictability of Haggath, I think is his name, character. It was a bit theatrical, but felt right for a rich arms dealer and fed into Quark's nervousness, unease about selling weapons. Cisco's speech about stepping out of line was awesome and further plays into the weird moral position DS9 that must exist for the place to keep operating. Uh, next comment is Holly McLaughlin says business as usual. Love seeing Quirk wrestle with his conscience and ultimately have to decide to be a good person. If a bad Ferengi, I also love seeing a father serve as primary caregiver for a kid, as well as a male superior supporting him in that shades of what humanity could do any old time. We decide to get around to it. I would agree with that. That's a very good point. Captain Quirk business as usual. Brian shows us that a working dad can have it all. Also the actor who played the evil British arms dealer, Art dealer in Beverly Hills Cop plays evil British weapons dealer here, Mm. co-starring his forehead mole. I'm surprised DS9's bulkheads remained intact considering the scenery chewing going on with him. Overall, a fun and watchable, albeit largely predictable episode. Matt Ross says, yep, another Ferengi comedy episode. The best scene with the most heartfelt seriousness is the opening with Quark worrying about his money and losses and a failing business. Seemed real and compelling. O'Brien's parenting and the odd noises calming the baby seem cliche and unnecessary, but they all got to have a scene, right? What are you doing exactly with that baby, Jake? So Quark's cousin seems well intentioned, and in that arm stealer very creepily well played. Starfleet's umbrage at weapon sales seems a bit ridiculous and too self righteous. The ending just wraps up neatly, and we return to our regularly scheduled slowdown, waiting for the amped up war episodes that have yet to come.
0: Did uh, what did you think about the stuff with Dax, with uh, Dax and and Quark?
1: I thought it's fine. It suffers from the problem of us not seeing the war, like the damage that Quark is yeah. doing. So I, I like the fact that they personified the station turning its back on him through Dax, yeah. but that, that's about it.
0: Yeah. I, I actually thought it was part, uh, particularly good. Um, I, even, even though I don't think of Dax and Quark as really having a relationship, I thought they actually got, got it across pretty well of, of how... Uh, she was changing her opinion of him based on uh, the fact that everybody knows that he's dealing dealing arms and yep. they can't really prove it. I thought, I thought that was good. I thought that worked pretty well.
1: Maybe it ties into how we talked about her at the opening where her, turning her is actually a bigger accomplishment than turning some of the other characters against you because mm-hmm. of how go with the flow she is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good point. Not, I'm maybe not assuming that she would go with the flow with murder, but she's a because she stands because she puts up with so much. Her turning her back on you feels like it would be the last character to do so against you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Neil Brennan says business as usual. Star Trek, and especially DS Nine, is a wonderful home for overacting thespians. Stephen Burkhoff, take a bow. And for some reason, I've never found Quark character episodes that interesting, but this is one of the better ones. Cal Barrett says. Stephen Burke, off one of the UK's finest over actors, is a pleasure to watch in almost anything. <laughs> I find the episode overall to be quite watchable, even if it's not doing anything particularly interesting or impressive, despite maybe having the least subtle dream sequence I've ever seen. O'Brien can't get a babysitter, but you don't think in the Trek universe you could just take your baby to the holosuites and have a holographic version of you take care of it for a few hours?
0: Ooh,
1: interesting it, idea. It's a good point, but apparently they can't lock the holodeck doors because everyone just busts in while you're doing what's uh, in yeah. there. So maybe that's the reason why.
0: Yeah, and what happens if you like you you could lose your what if you lose your baby in the holo suite?
1: Right, if the thing the thing malfunctions and you've got to go in there with like your Tommy guns or whatever and get the baby get the baby out of there.
0: Yeah, what if like what if you left your baby in there and then some you know the station gets hit by a a tachyon pulse Mm -hmm. and it ends up being stuck in the holodeck for fifteen years and also the holodeck came to life and merged with the baby so what comes out is like this new being (laughs) who. Never mind.
1: <laughs> Do you know the Ray Bradbury story, The Velt? I don't. Okay, it's about kids who. Uh, it's in the future, and parents have a uh, parents have a couple of young kids, and they basically have a holodeck that the kids play mm-hmm. in all day. And it's a program called The Velt, where the parents will go in. It's just like an African uh, Serengeti in the in the distance, and they can <laughs> see lions and everything like that. And the parents, play in the sand, kids. And the, the parents yeah. think it's very weird. And then the kids just want more and more to be in the holodeck, and mm-hmm. so the parents eventually take them away from it, away from them, and they go they go in to try to get the kids out, and like the doors lock or something, and then it, it, it cuts in the book to the kids going back in, saying that like now they can finally play, and off in the distance you see the lions eating something. That are assumed mm-hmm. to be the parents, and it's just kind of a, it's just kind of a cool holodecky truck episode. If people want to read. Uh, I completely spoiled it, but it's a good story.
0: Is it a metaphor for iPads?
1: It's a metaphor for yeah, it's a metaphor for
0: all those uh, games that kids play on their iPads at this point. Have you ever have you ever seen or heard the thing about uh, uh, Ray Bradbury never? L- like you know, you read you've read Fahrenheit 451 you know the is like anti censorship and all this kind of stuff and you Bernie you don't burn books you blah 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 and like anytime someone asked Ray Bradbury about it he'd be like no it's not what it's about it's about I don't like television mm-hmm. and it's it, that's one of those things where you're just like ah I, I wish I wish you never vocalized that I wish you just <laughs> did the David Lynch thing and been like yeah or I should say uh, uh, the number six thing and say uh, it, it means what it is and yep. it is what it means.
1: Or you can, you can pull a J.K. Rowling and be like, you know the two lead characters in there were having sex with each other? I didn't write about it. I
0: think would... I love that. I love that she's doing that. You know, I... That is such A-plus trolling. I love it. I... I'm not saying that because she's... I'm not saying she's doing that, like, t- to be snarky or whatever. Yeah. But, like, I, I just love um, the fact that she can still have that much control... maintains a little bit of control over this creation that has exploded. Yeah. Where she can say, oh, by the way x y and z and people lose their fucking minds
1: i i'm I'm torn of this because when i heard about it and my understanding was that it was like oh it's like very interesting that a creator a has control over her product in a way like that and b doesn't seem to really care about the canon of stuff that you know Mm. like it's the opposite of it, it annoys fans because they're like no you can't change what we understand about this like and she plays kind of fast and loose with it and i like it for that The criticism I've read that actually changed my mind about how she does it is that I don't know anything about these books, but Mm. what she's doing is sort of bringing up that characters are having like gay relationships with each other. However, the problem people have is like, well, if this is true, none of the characters in the book are having these kind of relationships. So you're kind of having your cake and eating it too by... Writing a book that you're going to make sellable and no one's going to have a I problem see. with because you're not putting controversial material into it, and then afterwards being like, "Oh, in my head, these two are actually having illicit sex, like gay sex with each other," and people are saying, "Well, you're kind of a coward for not putting into the book in the book."
0: Yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I guess I, I I would I would be of two minds about it because I can agree with that, but I also think that you can you can write a story like that and have the sexuality of your characters in mind, but you're just not putting it down on the paper. Like, I mean, is that is, is she any more or less of a, or any more of a coward for not putting that stuff in there than she would be if she was like, Oh, by the way, these two straight characters were boning and I just never put that in. Um, is it, cause Harry Potter is more, is a pretty chaste book more or less. Right. Right. That's uh, that's it. I think either way, injecting that sort of element to it is going to feel uh uh not inappropriate but like, like not extra. in line with the, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah not in line with the rest of it and i in it and i and i agree that it does it is very sensational on her part to do that um but i don't know i don't know if if not doing that is any more or less uh i don't know what the word is um than if she did the same thing with a with a straight character or two straight characters. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I get I mean that uh, people coming at that from a point of view that is different than mine might ha- clearly have a different uh, viewpoint on it. So you know, I, who knows?
1: Yeah. I, I if she's doing it to just sort of like give the middle finger to fans who take the stuff too seriously, I kind of applaud mm-hmm. that. But if it's a if it's a way to sneak something in that you don't actually have that you should have included in the book maybe or at least like broached in the book to sort of add Mm. to that kind of like realistic or if you think it's that important to the characters to if you think it's important enough to bring up why is it not in the book i guess would be the counter
0: well yeah i again i think it's kind of a a double-edged sword because i mean i though there's not like illicit sex in the book there are characters who do have relationships Mm -hmm. right yep so yes in that case i could say all right the fact that she's saying oh these two characters are gay does feel a little bit cheap because why is she willing to write about these straight characters having relationships even if they're not like graphic relationships yeah right. not that I'm saying that the you know the, the gay one would be but just for example mm-hmm. um what what is stopping her from writing about a, a gay relationship in the same way in that way yes I would say it's cheap mm. yeah um and it's kind of sensationalist Uh, but if you're, if, if, if it's more of an idea of like, oh, well, when I was writing it, these characters, I thought of them this way, you know, here you go. This is, this is how I, this is how they were for me when I was writing them. Then that's different. I think that's fine. But again, it it does, it it does kind of come off as kind of sensationalist when you, when you look at it that one way. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, let us know people what you think about JK Rowling, uh, how she, how she does this and would you want would you want the creators of Star Trek to do the exact same thing uh let's give a rating for this one clay 1 to 5 for business as usual
0: um high 2 okay i don't know like it's not terrible it's but it's like i wouldn't i'm never going to watch this ever again like so it's 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 competently constructed but yeah. i wouldn't recommend it or You know, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. Of all of all the Ferengi episodes to pick, I wouldn't pick this one.
1: That's true. You'd almost prefer a worse Ferengi episode to have something kind of flair to it. Um, Yeah,
0: you know, I don't
1: know. On my rating system, I'm gonna have to give it a three, just because I think it's competent. Um,
0: Yeah, that's that's why I said high two, because it's like I want to say three, just because it just seems so middle of the road. Yeah it's a bad three um, it's just a bad three yeah. i guess would be the way to i would
1: describe it I, and we we get asked um why sometimes why we sometimes don't review the discovery episodes the same way the reason i don't give a rating to the discovery episodes is because the serial nature kind of interferes with that a little bit yes. and yeah. like you you can't pluck a discovery episode out of the middle of the season and show it to somebody really because it doesn't make right. sense and right. the way that i think of the ratings is because i can pluck these episodes out This is an episode I would show if someone was interested in the show. Like that—that's how I think about these ratings. That's why we don't, or I don't rate Discovery.
0: Maybe this is a a conversation for a different time. Um, But I was thinking about that the other day because, as I mentioned on the last episode of Discovery we're doing, I've been rewatching Buffy the Vampire Slayer as I've been working, and the thing that I've noticed about the way TV works now is uh the intense serialized nature of television has essentially taken away the the idea that I I I'm going to extrapolate this out cuz this is how I feel um t- has taken away the idea that that you can have a favorite episode that you would point to and say you have to watch this episode yep so the thing that's that one of the great things about Buffy and other shows of this time where they were starting to Uh, bend the line between episodic and serialized shows is that um, a lot of times you're kind of gimmick. Buffy did this really, really well. Uh, The gimmick episodes, you always had something that was integral to the plot of the larger story, but you could still watch them and be impressed by the episode itself And they stand out to the point where you'd be like, oh, my God, my favorite episode is the one where X, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not even relegated explicitly to the gimmick episodes. But like, think of old TV shows, right? Or older shows. I'm sure that you can go, oh, my favorite episode of The X-Files is blank. Or my favorite episode of Cheers is blank. You know, the one where X happens, that kind of thing. Yep. You can't really do that anymore. Like, I really enjoyed the first season of Westworld. I couldn't, I can't, I, you can't pick an episode out of that and go like, oh, my favorite episode of Westworld is episode three. Yeah. Or, or anything. Like, uh, I even, uh, even I have problems
1: with seasons for some shows where I cannot remember what season anything happened in. So when people are like comparing the best seasons of The Sopranos and they're talking about stuff, I'm like, "Ah, I, I have no idea what happened in those seasons. Like, I, I, it's it's all just one storyline that crosses over.
0: Yeah. And I found that it makes, for me anyway it makes shows uh l- makes me less inclined to rewatch them as well because there's n- while I enjoyed the show as it's happening there's nothing really connecting with me that makes me want to revisit them sure um yeah but when it's I I I found that that even in discovery discovery is well I mean I'm not going to say my favorite I would you should watch this episode in general for various reasons uh yet maybe next season who knows but uh um, discovery seems to be kind of skirting that line where they are still doing slightly episodic shows where well, like I I mean if I had to pick something I could say oh you know what that episode where uh, um, you know the good one this season. I can't remember which one it was. This season, but for instance, like oh, you know, I, I really like the one where they go into the mycelial network and the ship is crashing. Which you know I didn't, but just for an example, sure. I can put you can point to that and say watch this, and you can get the gist of it and enjoy it, even though it's in the middle of a, a season of a season long story. Um, the because they are still kind of skirting that line between episodic and serial, whereas so the serialized shows that are just explicitly serialized. You can't do that. And I've also noticed that uh, – sorry to go on this long diatribe about television here um, – The shows that are explicitly serial do not even try to attempt to sum things up the way they used to. Because remember on older shows, the shows that were more serialized – and again, using Buffy as an example because it's fresh in my mind – as Buffy became more serialized, before every single episode, they would go previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and then have to like hand pick a bunch of shit that has happened over the past three seasons that are all now relevant again. Right. Yeah. Because they are continuing that story, and now it's just like you either watched it and you're on board, or you're not. Yeah, it's, or you're, you're binging inter-
1: it, and you watched it two minutes ago, yes. and you don't need a reminder. I think that's the thing. Yeah. I
0: think the binging mentality is like, well, these people probably have watched five of these in a row, so we don't have to recap anything. Yeah. Uh, But it is just really interesting to see how that switch to serialization has, has made for better shows, arguably overall, but the episodes themselves don't stand on their own as much as they used to. Yeah. I, I, sorry uh, I, didn't, I didn't mean to go on a huge diatribe about this no, just I, in my mind that a I lot of tv
1: producers now say that they the picard series is being talked about this way by patrick stewart too it's a, it's a 10-hour movie and yeah that's i i agree with the opinion that that's problematic i don't i don't want yeah. a 10-hour movie if i wanted a 10-hour movie make a 10-hour movie like you're you're making right, this right. for television and I actually had this. I went on Enchantment by Eternity's channel and did a stream of, about like debating the merits of discovery. The problem the problem with the serial aspect that I think a lot of shows don't recognize is that even if you think your show is a 10-hour movie, you're airing it in one-hour segments. And if, mm-hmm. you're, if your hour segments are not entertaining by themselves, you're failing yes. as a TV show. Yep. So yep. It, it, that's the reason that... Whereas something like Daredevil can have this dip in the middle because there's no action leading up to the sort of like third act of the story in a season. It mm. doesn't work as a TV episode because it's like, I need something to make me want to watch
0: this one chunk of a story. Yeah. And yeah. I've Yeah. No, I was just because I've said I've said this before in reference to comic books. Like I, it's I you got it. Your single issue comic has to be satisfying from page one to page twenty two in a way that is separate from the overarching story that you're trying to tell. Just because you, you just because you have a bridge episode of TV or a bridge issue of comics doesn't mean that you can't do something interesting to keep your attention for that book. Right. You know, Yeah. It, it's it, which, yeah, I think it's something that, that people are, are losing sight of. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's too bad because, uh, you know, it's funny though. Cause I, I when, uh, when I was doing some, some work a couple months ago, I was re-watching the first season of True Detective, which I know you didn't like, but I, I really enjoyed. And I that liked it until is, the end. Yeah. Just to, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um that is short enough where I could binge through that again yeah. and really enjoy it. And in that in that sense, I would say, yeah, I would recommend it. And I would recommend it as a whole. I wouldn't recommend it episode by episode. Sure. Um so I guess, yeah, it, it is it is a really interesting kind of reevaluation of how these things are handled uh, in the past fifteen or ten or fifteen years or so.
1: yeah, it, I, I guess the the dividing line there would be if you can give me a mini series where I could succinctly explain the entire plot to somebody, yes, without yeah. forgetting anything that kind of happened, I think that that's fine to not make each episode its own standalone type thing. But yeah. if you're in Discovery's territory, where I cannot remember half the stuff that's happened, you yeah, you yeah. have to make the episodes themselves stand out as their own thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, uh, one one of our friends, uh, I was talking to him about Westworld season two, and I don't know if this is his quote or if he heard, read this somewhere, but I think it's really uh, it was appropriate for that show. Which was, he said, every episode is like showing up for a test where you didn't study for the you didn't study for it. Sure. Cause you're like, you're kinda, you're kinda hanging in there. Uh, but, you but it's not really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and that's, uh, maybe that's, that's part of another discussion, but, uh, it's just interesting how they're handling these shows now these days.
1: Let's, uh, let's wrap it up guys. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast about business as usual. We'll be back with ties of blood and water. his the next DS nine episode. You can follow the show on the social media links, Facebook, Twitter, Discord, if you want to talk to us. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash file. And that's about it. Recommend the show on your internets or wherever you may find other people talking about Star Trek podcasts and it's appropriate to bring up. Don't be a weirdo. Just do it somewhere appropriate. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we're done?
0: Uh, Night Moves number four comes out this week, I think. So keep your eyes open for that if you like comic books.
1: All right, guys. I think that's it. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time.